God, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. And as we look at this tense event in the history of Israel, we pray that you would help us to see where we are at and how this speaks to our current situations. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you may or may not know that one of the things that I'm interested in doing that I spend some of my time doing is blogging. If you're not familiar with blogging, that's a short form for web log, which is like a uh, an online public diary or journal uh, where people can uh, write about whatever. So oftentimes it's used for like opinion pieces and, and that kind of things just to to write about whatever people are interested in. And I've been blogging now for uh, about 15 years, and it's something that I've enjoyed doing. Sometimes the the posts are just kind of fluffy things about whatever I'm thinking about for that day, and then sometimes they're about things that are a little bit more serious. Most of the time when I write a blog post, uh, I'm pretty lucky if the first day I get uh, 10 to 20, maybe 30 uh hits during that that first day that it appears. But there was one time that I did a blog post that I had over 30,000 views in one day. So it really took me off guard when that happened. I just kept checking. I'm like, what is going on here? Why is this happening? And I'm saying this not to brag that I am the best blogger ever because I've never had that kind of uh, views since then. But what happened and why people were going to that blog post really says something about where people are at. So I'm going to give you a little bit of the the background of what was happening. At the time, I was uh, on social media. I was uh, scrolling through Facebook, and I saw that there were a lot of people posting uh, a bunch of different articles on uh, from conservative websites that said that the CEO of Starbucks, the uh, the popular coffee chain, that the CEO of Starbucks did not want anyone who uh, supported traditional marriage, that is uh, marriage between a man and a woman, he did not want anyone who supported that to be his customers. He didn't want them to buy his coffee. And I knew that uh, the CEO of Starbucks was... Uh, very supportive and was an advocate of the LGBTQ community. And I had no problem with that. Uh, that was something that he believed in. But I thought, just from a purely business perspective, that seems awfully strange because most uh, CEOs of companies would want as many people as possible to buy their product. Even if they have certain political or other views on different issues, they want as many people to buy their their product because that's what puts money in the bank, right? That's it. Just it seems so strange that someone would say that. But all these people on Facebook were sharing these articles saying, "Nope, the CEO does not want any business from people who support traditional marriage." So I was suspicious. So I thought I'm going to do a little bit of digging and find out what actually was going on. And I was able to track down where this conversation happened and what was actually said by this CEO. And it ended up that it was nothing at all like what these conservative websites were spreading around the internet. What had actually happened was there was a shareholders meeting, and they were talking about uh, Starbucks' support of same-sex marriage. And one of the 
uh, shareholders said, uh, just expressed some concern, not about the, the, uh, the political or the moral side of that, but just uh, about if they might lose customers over their stand on, on this issue. And the CEO of Starbucks said, you know, I understand that. Um, and if you're not comfortable um, uh, investing in this company, there are plenty of other companies you can invest in, but it's up to you. Every shareholder can make their choice. And that's all he said. And from that, these conservative, um, uh, often Christian, these conservative websites went and blew that up saying he did not want any people, any customers who uh, supported uh, traditional marriage. He wasn't even addressing uh, customers. He was addressing a shareholder, and he wasn't even telling the shareholder that he had to sell his shares. All he was saying is the shareholder had the freedom to invest in whatever company that they wanted. This was a complete miscommunication. This is an example, a classic example, of fake news. And so I posted what I found saying, you know, the CEO did not say that. This is what he actually said. And it's very interesting because you can go uh, and see, read this uh, this post I did, and you will find all kinds of comments uh, by both uh, conservative Christians and people in the LGBTQ uh, community, all uh, appreciative that I was sharing the truth. Because uh, some people were willing to twist the truth for their own political agenda in that particular case. This was an example where there was bad communication going on. Was it uh, purposeful or was it by accident? Well, I think the people on Facebook were sharing these websites thinking that it was true, uh, but perhaps those who first wrote those articles did not do the research that they should have done that. So why do I share this story? I share this story because miscommunication is a big thing and it's happening more and more because of social media, because of the polarization of the different media outlets, it's happening more and more. And the Bible speaks directly to this. And so we're going to look at the story about uh, the the different tribes of Israel that takes place in Joshua. So this is happening during the time of Joshua. Uh, Joshua is the successor of Moses. They finally, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, have gotten to the place where they're ready to conquer the promised land, the land of Canaan. And so they end up uh, coming in from the east. They approach the Jordan River from the east, and they take the land that is on the east of the Jordan River first. But that's not their, their main goal. Their main goal is the land that is on the west side of the Jordan River. However, some of the tribes uh, who were involved in that first conquest on the east said, you know what, this land is pretty good. We like this. And we'd actually like this to be our allotment when it comes time for us to divide up the land. And the rest of the tribe said, well, that's fine. As long as you come to the west with us and you help us conquer our land, we are absolutely fine with you going back after the, the, the conflict is over, you're welcome to go back onto the other side of the Jordan and to settle in that land, as long as you help us with what we have to do. And they said, that's fine. We're happy to help you as long as we can have this land. And so the, the book of Joshua talks about their uh, attacks and their, uh, their um, conquering of the land, which they were partially successful and partially unsuccessful. In fact, you can go to the book of Judges to see uh, the, the problems that they had because they didn't conquer 
every city, and there were a lot of Canaanites who were uh, left around and had uh, positions of power. So it caused all kinds of trouble. But in general, they were able to take most of the land. And so at the point we're at, those two and a half tribes, and it's called two and a half tribes because the tribe Manasseh, uh, half the tribe went to the east side of the Jordan and half the tribe went to the west side of the Jordan. So two and a half tribes go to the east and the um, nine and a half are on the other side. And so they have all gone to their, their lands and everything is fine until a report comes that the two and a half tribes have built an altar. And you might think, well, who cares? You built an altar? That's great. The more worship of God the better. So that's that's a good thing that they're building an altar. But it wasn't a good thing because in addition to having a very zealous belief in the uh, worship of one God, they also believed that you could only worship that one God in one place. And uh, now eventually that would be Jerusalem. But at this point, it is in that traveling tent uh, called the tabernacle, which was the predecessor to the temple. Eventually, that, the, the tabernacle would be replaced by the temple in Jerusalem. But this tabernacle can move around, but you could only worship where the tabernacle was because that's where the one altar for sacrifices was allowed to be at because worship revolved around sacrifices. So you could only sacrifice in this one place. And the tabernacle at this point was in the city of Shiloh which was on the west side of the Jordan. And so the nine and a half tribes, they hear this, that the two and a half have uh, built this altar. They jump to the assumption that the two and a half tribes are started that slide uh, into separating from Israel, that uh, the division of the Jordan River is going to become a wider division as they uh, separate in identities and even separate in faith and worship as they're willing to offer sacrifices on a different altar. And so because of that assumption, they begin to mobilize their military. They're ready to go in and to attack the two and a half and to devastate the land and to kill their brothers and sisters, their fellow Israelites. They're going to kill them over this thing. And so they do send some, some messengers uh, that are led by uh, Phineas, and they go there and they say, what have you done? And they are all ready to fight, and, but they're, they're just, they, they need to express this frustration they have with the two and a half tribes. How could you have done this? Why are you doing this? We have all this history of what has happened when people have misbehaved uh, in the sight of God, and it has always come to something horrible. What are you doing? And the two and a half tribes respond by saying, well, definitely, if we have built this altar to uh, to offer sacrifices to God in a way that is illegitimate, come and attack and defeat us. Of course do that. But that's not why we've built this altar. We have built this altar as a memorial because we are afraid that being on the other side of the Jordan, that our future generations will forget about the connection, your future generations will forget about the connection, and we will have that separation that is going to be just terrible for the, the future of Israel. And so we wanted to make a replica of the one true altar as a reminder of who we are in our common relationship with God. And then, of course, the uh, 
the uh, nine and a half tribes are like, oh, okay, well, I, why didn't you say so in the first place? That's really good because we were just about to kill all of you, and now we know. And we can see here, there, there's two, two mistakes that were made. First of all, the nine and a half tribes, they were ready to just jump at their judgment to say, you know what, we're just going to assume. We see that there's an altar there. We're just going to assume this is why they're doing it, and we are going to respond by attacking. We're going to respond with violence. But you know what? The two and a half tribes, they could have been better too, right? Uh, they should have known that building this altar was going to be a problem, and so they should have sent their people to the ten and a half uh, tribes, uh, or sorry, the nine and a half tribes, and say, you know what, we have built an altar, but hold on, this is why we did it. It is not to offer sacrifices. We are not going to offer any sacrifices on this altar. So there was mistakes on both sides, and it almost ended up in a conflict that would have cost the lives of thousands of people. Now, there are some people uh, who think that the, the Bible in general, but especially the Old Testament, is totally irrelevant for today. I actually find that the Old Testament is very relevant, and this passage is an excellent example of that relevance because this story is about a communication breakdown where people start making assumptions about what other people are, are doing and their motivations for doing it. And this is something that, that happens today. Now, we don't mobilize our our army forces necessarily to respond, although we can look on a on an international level and we could probably see examples of how this stuff happens today. But on our own local level, uh, this kind of thing does happen because someone says something. Someone does something. A rumor is started about something and you hear this. You just, you feel like you've heard enough information for you to make your judgment and you come out fighting, not necessarily with a sword, but you come out fighting. You're ready to, to respond in kind with what has happened without actually taking the time to find out what, what actually did go on there. Why did they say that? Or did they say that? And what was their motivation for saying that? What actually was going on? You see, the easy way to respond with this is to respond with anger and hatred and to just make assumptions without looking into the facts, without trying to figure out what was going on, just come out swinging. The hard thing is for us to actually take the time to find out, to actually address the person, to address the situation, and to see what's going on. See, Jesus actually addresses this in Matthew chapter 18, where he gives clear guidance as to what's supposed to happen when there's conflict, and it's specifically within the church, but we could uh, expand this outside of that as well. And what he says is, when there is a conflict between you and another person, the first thing you do is not start the rumor mill. That's not what you're supposed to do. It's not about going and telling everyone about how bad that person is. You go to the individual and you say, this is what has happened, and we need to talk about it. You need to talk to that person first. And I understand, I understand from experience, that's the last thing you want to do. It is easier to talk to another person and to talk about how bad they are than it is to address the situation that is going on. But it's what we're supposed to do. And then Jesus says, if they don't respond to that, then you bring another person with you. And then if they don't respond to that, then you bring it before the congregation. This is what is needed. And I have experienced this over and over again. We might find 
when we go to the person that, first of all, they didn't say what uh, we thought they said, or maybe they did say it and they had a motivation that we totally didn't understand, or maybe they did do it for the reason we thought they did it, but that they are sorry. Or maybe they're not sorry, but we don't know until we actually talk to them. We need to communicate with each other. Uh, we're supposed to love God and love our neighbor, and our neighbor includes our fellow Christians, and we need to talk to those people and not to jump to uh, jump at assumptions about what they are, are doing. I, I was uh, re- recently rereading the book uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And in one of the chapters in that book, he tells a story about uh, being in the subway. And uh, he was on his way to work. And uh, as he's sitting there, he's going over some work and he's uh, reading something. He's trying to concentrate. And this father and two children come onto the subway. And the father sits down and just kind of bows his head. And the children are just totally misbehaving. They're being loud. They're running around. They're hitting each other. They're jumping on the seats. They're doing all kinds of stuff. And Stephen Covey is trying to ignore it, but it's not working. He's getting more and more frustrated. He's looking at this father. The father's not paying attention. He's ignoring his children. And he figures, okay, I, I've seen enough. I have enough information now to make a judgment of what is going on here. This is a father who just doesn't care. He just is not interested in making his children behave appropriately in public. And so he needs correction. I need to confront him and to tell him that he is being uh, a bad parent. And so Stephen Covey says to the, uh, the father, as gently as he could, that, you know, um, you know, your children are really misbehaving right now. They're really causing a lot of disruption. Uh, don't you think you should step in and do something? And the, the father just kind of slowly lifts his head and, and looks like he's coming out of a dream and says uh, to Stephen Covey, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, I guess I, I probably should do that. Uh, we're, we're just coming back from the hospital, and my, my wife and uh, their mother has just died, and uh, we were just leaving uh, her having uh, just uh, passed away. And Stephen Covey is like, whoa, I thought I had all the information. Now this extra information sheds a whole new light on what is going on. He had a totally different response. Instead of wanting to correct this man for being a bad parent, now he wanted to reach out to him and say, you know, what can I do? How can I support you? How can I help you in this difficult time? The Israelites were in a similar position to that, although with worse uh, consequences. They thought that their fellow tribes were building an altar to worship God in a wrong way, that they were going to circumvent the central temple, the central altar that was the one place where God's worship was supposed to be. And so they were ready to call upon their armies and wipe out their fellow tribes. But they were wrong. That's not what they were trying to do. It was a complete miscommunication. We need to be thinking about that because you know what? Look around in this room and for those of you who are watching online, uh, you can use your imagination as well. But for all of us, something is going to be said at some point. Uh, some, something is going to be done that's going to really bother us. And we're going to think that we have all the information and that we are justified in really condemning that person for what they have done or what they have said or whatever without actually getting the information. We need to go to the person 
and talk to them and to seek reconciliation and to seek to find out what it was that motivated them to do what bothered us so much. We may find that our minds are completely changed. Let us pray. God, as we look at what almost happened in ancient Israel, as tribe almost fought against tribe, over a complete miscommunication, we see how easy that is to happen today, both in our congregations, in our families, in our individual relationships. We make assumptions about why people do what they do. Lord, help us to seek the truth, to try to understand what is really happening and to be ready to adjust our opinion as we gain new perspective. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.